The scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke. I'll be reading from the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 13, reading down through verse 21. This from the Common English Bible. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, What will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, You have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, Fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and are not rich towards God. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. In the 2009 documentary series called Hoarders, maybe you've heard of it, it burst onto the scene on the A&E television network. Now, rarely does a documentary series like this continue for six whole seasons, but that's exactly what Hoarders did. The series you see depicted the real-life struggles and treatment of people who suffer from an addiction to hoarding. The word compulsive often comes to mind or in reference when we talk about hoarding, but it can also be called pathological collecting. Some of us refer to it as good old-fashioned pack ratting, but on steroids. Now, each 60-minute episode of this show, Hoarders, typically would have one or two intervention attempts because of the pattern of behavior that an individual ex exhibits by the excessive um, acquisition of many items and also their inability or else unwillingness to discard them. You see, their patterns of behavior were so unhealthy oftentimes that, in fact, their possessions typically covered the living areas of their homes to such a degree that it would actually then cause them significant stress, impairment, and in some cases, even physical illness. Now, each hoarder in the program would be assigned a team made up of a psychologist, an organizer, and some cleaning professionals. The cleanup sessions, they would aim to teach to hoarder new behaviors while making the home livable and usable again. And these interventions would be necessary because many times a crisis like the threat of eviction or the removal of minor children sparked all of these interventions. Now what's especially intriguing to me is that apparently Hoarders debuted as the most watched series premiere in A&E network history among adults aged 18 to 49 and tied for the most ever among adults 25 to 54 years of age. It makes me wonder why were people so drawn to this show? 
I wonder why we found it so captivating. Is there some part of ourselves that we see in it? Do we enjoy someone else's dysfunction and just want to watch? Is it the sheer horror of all the stuff piled up in one place? We may never know for sure, but these are questions worth asking for people who value the teachings of Jesus and living them out. In the case of the hoarders, one might call their efforts a quest for abundance. That sounds kind, doesn't it? We know that possessions, however, by themselves are not necessarily a problem, but the problems arise in how people relate to these possessions. The problems arise with what we do with our possessions and why we seek to own these possessions. Now, Jesus wanted no part of it in the, this family feud. Did you notice that in Luke 12? Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me, Jesus. Possessions, things get in the way of family relationships, often causing great strain in otherwise strong family situations. Even in times of the biblical writings and going back further to the First Testament uh, than, uh, than what we read today, there were regulations over such kinds of family disputes. And we still have these sorts of things go on even amongst, quote, good, solid families where it seems everyone on the surface at least gets along really, really well. You know how it goes. Maybe you've experienced it. Someone dies, and all of a sudden people are ha just haggling, and they're at each other's throats over furniture, or dishes, or jewelry, or silverware, or the house, or the land, or the savings account, or even sometimes smaller things because of what they thought they meant, or maybe they still mean. But Jesus refuses to be a referee in this family wrestling match. And it appears from what Jesus says, that he's calling it just like he saw it. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Greed, it seems, is at the root of this family feud. Now, I think it's important to notice he said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because I should point out that it's also possibly possible to be greedy with non-material things. Have you noticed? Fresh on my mind, after two mass shootings in our nation in the past 24 hours alone, is the thought that it's possible to be greedy with our personal freedoms. We are so fortunate in the United States of America to have many, many freedoms but this Bible story has me wondering, is it possible to have too much of a good thing? Is it possible to idolize certain freedoms, like my right to own or carry firearms, to the point of diminishing the freedoms of other human beings and their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? It's hard to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is one of as fearful as being shot down at Walmart, isn't it? We'll return to this in a bit. So how do we know when we're being greedy about our stuff or about our freedoms or when we're merely preparing for future needs, you know, that we'll actually need some of this stuff? Well, Jesus doesn't say not to prepare for a rainy day, but Jesus does say in this teaching that a person's life is not equal to one's possessions. One's value cannot be determined by their net worth. Now, Luke's gospel has Jesus transitioning here in this story straight from the family feud to the story about the rich farmer. 
And the rich farmer appears to be a wise business person whose land produced abundantly and the abundant growth is also due to rain and sunshine and all kinds of natural factors that obviously are out of this rich farmer's control. So he plans for the future by building larger barns, larger storage units, so that as his possessions grow, he has a place to stockpile it all. And he tells himself that he has ample goods laid up for many, many years, and he's all set. He can relax, he can eat, he can drink, and he can be merry. He's worked hard after all. He's run no scams that we know of, it appears. He's not a thief, nor does he mistreat his workers. He is not unjust, but according to Jesus, he's a fool. He lives for himself, as Fred Craddock said, talks to himself, plans for himself, and congratulates himself, appearing only to live in the orbit of his own universe. He thought to himself, what should I do? He said to himself, I will do this, I will do that, I will have this, I will have that, and I will say to my soul, ah, life is good. He's in his own little self-contained world, his own episode of hoarders, and no one else is in attendance. He's an audience and a show of one. And then the story being told here in Luke by Jesus takes a very sharp, and if I'm being honest, an uncomfortable turn. As has been attributed to Benjamin Franklin, this quote, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except for death and taxes. As the late Apple CEO Steve Jobs said, Death is the destination we all share. And the gospel author pins it into words as such. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? And the rich farmer in this story was so consumed with his own life and his own liberties and his own possessions, he had no concern for his actual physical life. Even though we've all heard many times that tomorrow is not promised to any of us, the rich farmer's tomorrow was about to be terminated. It was about to be done. And I guess that's a sobering truth. There is nothing like death to teach us about life. And life, my friends, is not comprised of the abundance of possessions. We may march towards the grave with our arms filled with all kind of stuff, but we will lay down every single one of this, these things the second we die. As they say, we come into this world naked and with no possessions, and we will leave this world naked and with no possessions. It's about perspective. And there's nothing like a brush with the possibility of death to truly put things into perspective. Those of you who have battled serious illnesses or health challenges in your own life or someone's life close to you, you know this. The threat of death jars us back rudely to reality. And when death comes near, amazingly, oftentimes our perspective changes. The rich farmer in this story Jesus told us about had lost perspective. And whether we're talking about hoarding material possessions or personal freedoms, the heart of this type of hoarding and greed, quite frankly, is rooted in fear. Because greed stems from fear and anxiety, which is why in the larger, broader context of this passage in chapter 12, Jesus is saying over and over and over, 
Do not fear, verse 4 of the same chapter. Do not be afraid, verse 7 and 32 of the same chapter. Do not worry, verses 11 and 22 of this same chapter. People grasp after things and people hoard things in an attempt to secure one's own future and freedom because they are either unaware or they do not believe that there will always be enough to go around. One of my favorite scholars, Walter Brueggemann, writes that we have a love affair with more and more will never be enough if we adhere to the myth of scarcity. I heard it said the other day, as we illustrated with the children's sermon, that many people make the mistake of thinking the only choices are that the glass is half full or half empty. Obviously, the glass is refillable. Now, I don't know about you, but I went to bed sick at my stomach over the news of yet another fatal mass shooting, and this one in El Paso, Texas. And by the time I had risen from my slumber, I thought someone was pulling my leg. Around 1 a.m., there was another fatal mass shooting, this one in Dayton, Ohio. Now, this gospel lesson on this particular Sunday that we've been dealing with begs some very, very difficult questions of us, or at least for those willing to wrestle with difficult questions. Some may not be willing. For those willing, at what point do we say enough is enough and actually do something to change the lethal patterns of our sin-sick nation. Wiser minds than my own will have to deal in the details and the specifics, but I wonder how many innocent children, how many innocent women, men, and human beings will have to die in violent, hate-driven shootings before we'll try anything different in response besides wringing our hands, offering thoughts and prayers, hoping it doesn't happen to us in our town, and then trying as hard as we can to go back to life as normal, as quickly as possible. Do we need to enforce the laws that we already have more efficiently? I don't know. Do we need to create mental health screenings or more rigorous background checks? I don't know. Does your average citizen create mental, you know, do they really need access to weaponry that can kill dozens of people in under a minute in a public place? Why are we so unwilling to discuss these things as a nation? Could it be because some hoard what they perceive to be their own personal freedoms and hang on to them so hard and to such an extent that it's become a greedy, sin-sick obsession that freedoms have actually become our idols? Could it be that some in our nation are so obsessed with collecting guns that they have grown to love their guns more than their children? I don't know. Have we become possessed by our possessions, including our personal liberties and freedoms? I don't have the answers, but these are the questions that if we're not asking, expose that in our hearts we don't really care. And what about the racism that appears to be at the root of so many of these shootings? The shooting in El Paso was carried out by a young white man who wrote in his manifesto that he was carrying out this shooting, quote, in response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. At what point does anti-refugee, anti-immigrant talk move past the point of just being a political preference and become full-blown hatred? You know, it's fear that drives all of this kind of thinking. 
Fear that there won't be enough freedom. Fear there won't be enough job for me or for my family. Fear there won't be enough housing. Fear there won't be social security when I get older. Fear that I'm not saving enough for retirement. All of these, these things have fear beneath them. We're being driven and controlled by greed and by fear. And the truth is, unless we name it and unless we own it, nothing will change. You know, both human greed as well as the desire to isolate oneself from others are expressions of human desire. And ironically, sometimes we desire so much stuff and so much freedom and so many things to benefit ourselves because at the very center of it all, our own desire is to be desirable. Our own desire is for someone else to desire to want to be us or to want to be like us or to love us. And this is the reason we quickly become dissatisfied with something because it hasn't served us the way we wanted to, it to or needed it to and we don't feel loved. And so we just keep hoarding and we keep hoping instead of sharing and instead of trusting. And you know, sharing and trusting is scary business because sometimes it means letting go of some of our personal control and yet again, so ironically, sharing and trusting are the only ways we can actually experience that human love and connection that we so long for. Greed is actually anti-human because it goes against what it means to be human. To be human is to be in mutually beneficial relationship with other humans when we get it right. To love as one is being loved. From the beginning, in the beginning, our story says that we're made in the image of God and we're made to be in relationship with one another, human to human. Let us make humankind in our own image. So God created humankind in God's image. Friends, life itself is a gift. We did nothing to deserve the life we received. We, you know, we did not earn this life. Now, we may work for our stuff, we may labor for our freedoms, but the moment we begin behaving as if there is not enough to go around is the moment we start believing that we'd better get all we can and can all we get, and when we start acting that way, we choke the life right out of life. The truth is, there's plenty of love to go around, but not everyone is willing to give it. The truth is, there are more than enough freedoms to go around. But there's not that many people willing to share or sacrifice or give part of those freedoms to someone else when they need it. We hoard it for ourselves. We do not all share the same balances in our bank accounts, but we can all share whatever balances we do have with those who may have a need arise in their life. It's our choice, that's what I'm trying to say. Hoard whatever we can or share and trust that there's more to go around. Save it and let it sit, soak, and sour or bless someone else, let go of it, and trust that in turn someone else will bless me when I need it. What do we really believe about our money? What do we really believe about our freedoms and liberties? What do we really believe about life itself? If I loosen my grip on my stuff and my freedoms, will they all be taken from me? Will they disappear? Our answers to these kind of questions are very very revealing about the condition of our hearts and minds. Now, I'm asking you this, these questions, friends, because life depends on our answers. 
Maybe even our own lives depend on our answers. Our answers reveal whether we are driven by fear or by trust. Fear kills. Fear chokes out life, even to those who think they're living it so well. Our answers reveal whether we are driven by fear or trust. Trust empowers life. Trust makes life actually worth living. May we learn to trust in the abundance of God's creation, letting go of our need to control and hoard, knowing that there will always be enough to go around as long as we are the ones willing to share and sacrifice, even if it makes us uncomfortable. May God help us to share and to trust and not to hoard. Amen.